Well, today we're, we're, we've had a wonderful time of worship, and actually that's what we're going to kind of focus our whole attention on today is this idea of worship. Uh, but as we think about worship, oftentimes we think about singing uh, or praying, um, but worship is, is so much more than that. Really, it is our response to the goodness and glory of God. Uh, it, it's our assigning worth to God and then living out what He says about us uh, and what he's called us to do to encourage the world to see that same glory and honor. And, and so we're going to be in the book of Psalms today, uh, Psalm 63. So if you want to turn there, you can. But, but as we work through today, really this is a broader series uh, that we're looking at uh, who we are as a church, uh, our mission, vision, and strategy. Uh, last two weeks ago, we kind of talked about the, the what. Uh, what are we to become as people what is God calling us as, as the local church to become? And I talked about disciple-making missionaries, that that's part of our vision statement to prepare and send disciple-making missionaries. That's you. A disciple is a learner, one who grows in faith and, and connection to the Lord, but also one who goes out and, and brings others along. They make disciples. That's what we're called to do in Matthew 28 is to make disciples of all nations. And so we're going to go out and be missionaries uh, as disciples, we're missionaries to the world, and our little world is our, our families, that's where we start, our neighbors, and, and our community, and so we go with a message of the gospel, not our own strength, not our own wisdom, not our own intellect, uh, not how good we talk or don't talk, uh, but no, we go with the gospel, and so that's the, the what. What are we to become? Disciple-making missionaries. And then Matt shared with you the who, he looked at the Good Samaritan story, the, the who. Who is our neighbor? Uh, everyone is our neighbor, and so we want to engage them with the gospel. We want to share with them the same truth that we've received, uh, eternal life. And so how do we accomplish that? Well, that's what we're going to look over the next four weeks. How do, how do we live as a church individually and collectively uh, to make those things happen? How do we do that? Well, we're going to begin today with worship. And we're going to look at next week, connection. Worship is that relationship that we have with God and, and how we respond to God and his goodness. And then connection, that's how we connect with one another. We sharpen each other. We spur one another on. How we rub shoulders together. That's why we don't live Christianity by ourselves. You do it in community. It's designed to be in community, and so we connect with one another. And then there's that word invest, and most of the time we think about invest, uh, we think about the stock market or savings or our retirement or whatever. Uh, it's all about money. Well, this is not about money. This investment is about your growth. We want you to invest in your spiritual life to make an investment in your spiritual growth. And we as the church want to come alongside of you and help you do that, to help you invest in becoming more like Christ, to grow, as it said about Jesus, in wisdom and stature. And some of us are still growing in stature. Not me, but some of you. Uh, and some of you, all of us should be growing in wisdom. And so invest in our spiritual lives and then serve uh, one another and serve the world. And so we're going to be looking at those four things over the next few weeks. And today we're going to start with worship. And, and it's going to be kind of a strange passage. Psalm 63 is where we're going to be. But I don't know if you've ever been running from someone. Now, not like in a relay race where, you know, you're your teammate is supposed to be running at you and you're slightly running away to get the baton. No, I mean like running away from someone. You're scared, they're chasing you, it's bad. Most of us as adults probably don't have that experience too often, but when you're kids, you, you 
play hide and go seek, you have games of chase, tag, all of that. And, and I remember uh, when I was a kid vividly, I was probably nine or 10, and uh, most of you know that, that my parents are divorced, and so it was a weekend I was with my dad, and our next door neighbors, great Christian family, uh, wonderful people. They're actually kind of a part of my spiritual journey. Uh, that family, they had two boys, uh, Mark and Michael, and they were older than me uh, by several years. Uh, but they were always wonderful to include me when they were outside throwing the football, doing whatever. And I had just gotten a water gun. And, and this was right when, the, when water guns were kind of making a leap forward in technology. No longer was it just a little like the green clear pistol that leaked all the time. You know, everyone knows those, and they had a little thing that you can never really get closed. So no, I was a step up. I had this larger water gun that actually you could change the direction of the spray. So you could kind of be sniper mode and stand behind something and turn it and pump it, and it would hit the person to the left of you. It was amazing. And so we were having this water gun fight, and we were outside, and I'm running from one of these two older boys who are bigger, faster, stronger than me, and I'm running, turned around backwards, James Bond style, because the movie's out, and, and I turn around, and I meet a beautiful, tall pine tree. <laughs> Bam! And I hit that thing full speed. And I flop down on the ground. It knocked the breath out of me. And if you've ever had the breath knocked out of you, the wind knocked out of you, you, you think you're dead. You, like, you know that you're gone. I'm flailing around, trying to catch my breath. One, one of the two brothers comes up to me. They're trying to calm me down because when you're flailing around, does that help? No. So they're trying to calm me down. In the midst of my struggle, my pain, my heartache, they're trying to be that stress-free presence in my life to help me. And as you and I think about worship, that's what I think about sometimes. Is in the midst of our chaos and our flailing and our doing everything possible to make our lives work perfectly, God is there telling us to calm down to breathe, to listen, to trust, to hope in. And that's what worship is about. And today as we look at this passage in Psalm 63, you need to understand the context of the passage. King David is actually on the run as well. He's running. He's running from someone and not just anyone. He's running from his own son, Absalom. And he's fled the city and gone into the wilderness, the desert, to escape his son who is trying to overthrow him. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a country where there's been a coup attempted. Most of us probably haven't because we live in America. But I think about David. This is King David, the guy who killed Goliath. Like, what are you running for? Like, you killed Goliath. And you're on the run. But it's a reminder to me that all of us have those moments where life is out of control. It's chaotic. I can't figure it out. And I'm on the run. And so that's the context for today's 
Scripture that David is on the run in the wilderness by himself. And here's what he has to say to God. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In the wilderness, on the run, afraid of what's happening in his city and in his future, David cries out to God, O oh God, you are my God. And if you've been around church a long, long time and you listen to the old translations, O oh God, thou art my God. It's a little more poetic that way. But his son has rebelled against him, trying to overthrow his government. And here he is in the wilderness. God, I know who you are. I know you. And you know me. And so I'm going to seek you earnestly. Even in the midst of David's chaos and pain and frustration and running, he knew who his God was. He knew that back years and years and years and years ago that God had established a covenant with Abram and said, this covenant is between me and my people and all of your descendants, Abram. I'm committed to you. And David is resting on that covenant that God declared that he will be their God, his God. And so this statement, oh God, you are my God, is the rock. It's the foundation for the quicksand of his life in that moment. We've all been in those moments of quicksand where we just flail and it, we just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Everything we tried doesn't work. And yet God is there to stabilize to bring us a foundation for that. And that's where David is in this moment. When he thirsts, God will be the one who quenches his thirst. When he seeks God, God will be there. God will not abandon him. God will not turn on him. And so as you and I think about how we live out our life, let me encourage you to know who you are worshiping. Who are you worshiping? Who is the object of your affection? Who is the one that you're clinging to in the midst of heartache and trouble? Oftentimes we go a lot of different places to find answers and strength and hope and comfort. And David reminds us that we have to know the God of the universe. We must earnestly seek him. One of the early translations says, early I seek you. And that's early and often. Like earnestly with all of my heart, early in the morning, from morning, noon, and night, I'm going to seek after you because my life without God is dry. It's weary. And you're the only one to quench my thirst. It reminds me of the woman at the well when Jesus said, you know that well water you drink, you're going to be thirsty again. 
But the water I give you is living water. Living water. And as I look at life, there's lots of places that attempt to quench my thirst. There's lots of mirages in our world. And I've never been in the desert, and when I think of mirage, I think of the hotel in Las Vegas, so it's kind of hard. But you know what a mirage is? It's, it's, it's something that looks like it's there, but it's really not. If you've driven down a, a, a long road on a hot summer day in Texas, you can see the, in the distance what looks like something shimmering, that it could be water or something different. It's just the heat off the road. If you watch Bugs Bunny, you know that mirages are everywhere in the desert, and it's just sand. Because nothing satisfies except the one who gave his life for us. Nothing satisfies, nothing quenches our thirst except for our God who quenches our thirst not just for today but for eternity, quenches the thirst of our soul. And sometimes we get confused and we think the dry land is full of life and yet it's not. God is our source of life. He is the one. And as we think about the idea of worship, we cling to him, we go to him, we seek him because he is the one who gives us purpose and power. And as David, I think, almost trying to convince himself as he writes this, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Like David remembers those times when he's been in worship. Like he's gone to the, the temple and to the sanctuary for us to, to church. I, I remember those times and I, I beheld your power and your glory. Like he's trying to think back. I remember those times when I was close to you, when I saw you in action. So I need that again. You've healed me before. You've rescued me before. You've delivered me before. You've given me power before. You've comforted me before. You've given me hope before. And so I'm looking for that again. I'm earnestly seeking after it. And I can't imagine this moment. It's a strange moment because not only is David in the midst of sort of a family dynamic issue. If you have family issues... Like, just look to David. Like, his kid tried to overthrow his government, ran him out of town. Like, moms and dads, be thankful for these folks right here. Like, he's dealing with this family chaos. He, he's the leader of the people, and now what's going to happen because he's in the wilderness all by himself? Can you imagine the situation here? And, and I know many of you like, man, I, I've had some crazy, challenging, hard, difficult times, but I've never had my kids try to run me out of my house and overthrow my leadership, and I've never been the king of a country and not able to lead it. That's pretty significant stuff here. I, I look at the challenges that we face and 
They're hard and troublesome. But I want you to be like David and remind yourself of God's glory and power. Remind yourself of his glory and power. Remind yourself of his majesty. Remind yourself of the times that he's been faithful and true. Remind yourself that he is the one who brings you rest in the middle of chaos. He is the one who calms the storm. He is the one that brings deliverance. To recognize his majesty, his power, that he is the foundation for life. That we can say, oh God, you are my God. If we seek him, we will find him. And that's David's hope and trust. And so whether it's a job issue, a friend at school, a parent-child relationship, maybe some of you are going through crazy chaos in your house right now. Maybe you've lost a job or you've gotten a bad report of the doctor. Or maybe you can't figure out how to make people be nice to you. Or you failed chemistry. Or you're not sure how you're going to pay rent next month. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. I search after him. I go after him. And he gives me rest and hope and peace in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of chaos. And so what is our response to God's faithfulness and power and majesty? What is our response? What, what does David say? He says, your love is better than life. Let's hope so. And I hope God's love is better than life because my life is pretty good. But I would... Pray that the God of the universe's love for me is greater than the ups and downs of this life. And so what's my response? My response is praise and blessing. Think about it. David is in the wilderness, the desert, on the run from his own son. His government is in turmoil, and he says, I'm going to praise you. My lips are going to exalt you. I'm going to lift my hands forever because your love is better than life. Are you kidding me? We get fussy because the bridge is down to one lane. Amen? Yeah, like, our issues are pretty small for most of us. We got some big challenges, I know. But we get distracted so easily by the smallest of things. And our response is negativity, frustration, Anger, hatred, bitterness, indifference. And David is helping us to see that our response to what this life offers is praise and blessing to our Heavenly Father because His love is better than life, better than the circumstances we're going through, whether they're amazing or hard. His love is better than life, so I'm going to praise. 
I'm going to praise you because your love is better than anything that helps me maintain my status quo because that's what most of us are interested in is status quo. Just keep everything going okay. Not too high, not too low, just right. And I said two weeks ago, God's about rocking your boat. He doesn't want to flip it, but he wants to rock it. And we can sing even if we wanted to. But he, he's about that and because he wants us to call on him, draw on him, let him know how much we love him because we know how much he loves us. His love is better than our status quo. His love is better than our prosperity. His love is better than our comfort. His love is better than those things that we're on the run from. His love is better. And so I'm going to praise him. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to cling to him in those worrisome and troublesome, troublesome times. I'm not going to rest on my own intellect and power and how good my water gun is. Because most of us, our water gun isn't very good. And so what does it mean? What does it mean to bless God? I, I, I read this passage, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, I'm dry and weary, and you're the one that fills me up, you're the one that fills the cup of my life, and so what's my response to that? How do I respond to God doing amazing things in the midst, at least in this case, in the midst of horrible situation, like terrible situation? I'm going to praise you. I'm going to bless you. So what does it mean to bless God? Does God need my blessing? What do you think? Does God need my blessing? No. Easy questions most of the time. Most of the time. And so how do we bless God? We honor him. We honor him when we're together like this. We raise our voices in one accord to worship him, to bring praise to him. We devote time to building our relationship with him early in the morning, early and often, daily. I wonder, are we more excited about seeking God earnestly? Are we more committed to our Snapchat streak, students? Because I know somebody who has a three-year Snapchat streak. If you don't know what that is, adults, don't worry about it. Three years. That's commitment. That's real commitment. But I wonder, do we seek him with that type of commitment and desire? To say, Lord, I want to pour into my relationship. Do we want to bless God? Let's pour into our relationship with him and seek him. Spend time with him in his word, in prayer, in connection with others. And then to seek him in action, how we live out our lives. In another passage that a lot of folks use when they talk about the subject of worship is Isaiah chapter 6. It's when Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord um, and he realizes that he's a big sinner and everybody that he's, his, na- his whole nation are big sinners. And so God touches his lips, cleanses him, and then God asks an important question. Who am I going to send 
on my behalf? Who who am I going to send to represent me? And Isaiah wisely says, here am I, send me. God, I've seen what you've done, the miracle that you've done in my life, how you've changed who I am, how you you rescued me from my sin, you cleansed me. I want to bless you by going on your behalf. Here am I, send me. I'm so thankful for the missional pathway, what we've been doing as a part of our preparing and sending. We had one this past weekend, and I ask our folks that have been through it, if you haven't been through it, uh, jump on board, okay? Get get in the game. Uh, But those folks that have been through it, I get testimonies from them time and time again about how God is using them to bless others and to bless the Lord. One of our ladies in our church, uh, she works in customer service in, in the medical field, and she's dealing with people who have medical issues that are not getting solved. You can imagine the joy of those conversations. When you're having a medical issue and your problem isn't getting solved, or you have a bill due and you don't agree with it, we've all been there. And she said, I get to every day be a stress-free presence for those people and remind them that worrying about something you cannot control doesn't solve it and it doesn't help you. Now, is that good advice and biblical? Yes. What does worry do? It does nothing for you. Be a stress-free presence with people who are stressed out about their medical conditions. Bless the Lord. We have another gentleman in our church who keeps me up to date often on a friend of his who lives in Georgia. This man is not a believer, but a great friend, a a former work associate. And he's been engaging the man through the series, The Chosen. If you haven't watched The Chosen, uh, it's, it's a Christian series about the life of Christ. And I've, I have never recommended a Christian movie or series until this one, okay? So that's how good I think it is. So if you haven't watched The Chosen, just Google it. You'll find it. It's a great series about the life of Christ. But he's been engaging this man through this series, The Chosen, and having conversations about who Jesus really is. Bless the Lord. Praise Him. Honor Him. Share Him with others. Here am I. Send me. That's how we bless God. And then one of our own church members emailed me a couple of weeks ago. I actually thought it was spam because the way the email address looked, but it wasn't. And he said, Pastor, I know that we're not passing the offering plate anymore because of COVID and all that. He said, but you know, I've realized one of the things that we don't do anymore in worship is really pause and thank God for his generosity to us, his faithfulness to us in this area of work and finances. Can can we not take some time to pause and, and thank him for the opportunity to give back, to honor him with our resources, to bless him in that way. Say, thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my needs. 
And so out of a generous heart, I want to give to you. Out of a worshipful heart, I want to give to you. And so how do we bless God? We honor him with our lips. We honor him with our lives. We go and are sent out. And we live with an attitude of praise. Now, I don't want you to walk through life with your hands constantly lifted up. Because that's what he says there, I'll lift my hands up. I don't think David walked through the wilderness with his hands up praising the Lord. Now, you should probably do that occasionally to to bless the Lord and to honor him, but you're not going to walk through Friendswood High School or Bay Area Christian or Pearland High School doing that. Uh, People will think you're weird. You're not going to walk through the office like, oh yeah, Jesus. Like, don't don't do that. Because you'll probably scare off people more than you'll attract them. But does your life represent an attitude of praise? That your natural response in moments is not complaint and negativity, but it's gratitude, thankfulness, and honor. That's how we bless the Lord. And so as you and I consider worship, I want you to imagine that every moment of your life is an opportunity to respond to God and to represent him to others. That's worship. Every moment is an opportunity for me to respond to the goodness and the glory and the greatness of God and then to represent him to others. That's worship. So may we be a people of worshipers in spirit and in truth. Will you pray with me?